Welcome to the week 10 edition of the SEC StatCast. I am your host, SEC StatCat, Clark Brooks. How's everyone doing today? Better late than never. We're going to roll this out for a Saturday morning release, so hopefully you can listen to this right before game day and get all your statistical needs around the SEC. Uh, not particularly the best against the spread or um, record last week following my 6-2 record the week prior, but, you know, that's the type of stuff that happens sometimes in the great game of college football. But, you know, I had some really stupid picks, no doubt, um, in retrospect. But either way, Georgia covered. They were the surest thing of the week, and might as well start with the Bulldogs. Um, like all the other stat casts, we're going to review all the Week 9 games with some of uh, their X and O strategies, some stat takeaways, and then uh, hit into the Week 10 games, and then finally my predictions. No B, you know, no break, breakout B block this week, just doing the straight stats for the good people. So, like I said, we're going to start with Georgia. Um, yeah, you know, they won handedly, but, you know, zero points on the first three drives. We know if excellence is what this team is striving for, that's not necessarily the start you like to see. Um, they did like to establish the tackle counter early. So, again, um, this was a look that Florida defensively has really struggled defending uh, the last month or so, so not particularly great. So, um, after their first five drives, they only had a 42% success rate with a 5.1 yards per play. Um, just not going to take it, not going to take it. But then they get the, you know, the back-to-back short fields because of the defense and the, de- you know, and the touchdown, and boom, middle eight advantage Bulldogs. So the first interception followed a, a, an interesting uh, double post leak play. So um, very interesting design out of 12 personnel. You know, speaking of 12 personnel, having a lot of tight ends on the field, guys, two-thirds of Georgia's yards occurred from 12 or 13 personnel in this game. And, you know, I mentioned the tackle counter and how Florida's, you know, been pretty bad about defending it well. Um, All five of them um, run out of those sets were successful, and uh, they (laughs) averaged 15 yards per pop. So I think that was a great – sign of success from Georgia there, to say the least. So, um, obviously, in the second half, they were able to just lean on some of their bread-and-butter dive stuff. You know, they did some more tackle counters, some off tackles. Play-action boots were seen. Um, but the point of leading into that leak play, you know, I went off on a tangent there. Um, forgive me, but the overall point. Um, that double-post leak play, it preceded a look that Georgia has been specifically just – shredding people with you know it's it's not necessarily run at a high volume but when it does get targeted it usually does um, generate nice yardage so coming into this game they were 10 of 13 for 338 yards and five touchdowns and an interception targeting the wheelie switch of course I've mentioned this on a a few other episodes before but um, generally speaking it has been nothing but great gains for this offense. So, but unfortunately, it was a predetermined throw from Bennett, and it was intercepted along the right sideline. So, oh well. And then the second interception, they faked their duo concept, a jab duo concept, and they tried to do a basic divide concept. It was uh, not necessarily open, and yeah, there you go. Two-man route, not necessarily anything fancy. So... Um, Georgia just basically, you know, did what they have been doing in second halves is just playing bully ball and, uh, you know, taking prudent shots when necessary. Of course, Stetson Bennett 
leaves a little bit to be, to be desired now at this point in the season. We have a decent sample size, but we'll talk about him later. So about Florida, yeah, um, I get the decision of wanting to start Anthony Richardson. I was on board with that, but, I mean, obviously um, his first starting assignment was a really, really tough one. So in the first half, he didn't log a single explosive completion. Um, 31.6 of his passes were uncatchable. Um, 10.5 were interceptable. Um, over a quarter of his dropbacks experienced pressure, or at least a quarter of his attempts experienced pressure. That excludes actual sacks. And he had a very, um, let's just say, uh, forgettable 45.7 depth-adjusted accuracy. So um, he did not pass his first test. Of course, he had two straight interceptions. Um, and he did have a deep drop, sure, but just overall, it was not necessarily a uh, wowing performance, and it has affected his standings within the SEC. He's not particularly special there. So Florida, um, they did a lot of stuff that the, what they've had been leaning on the past few weeks, particularly in the second half. But they did, you know, curl flats a lot, a, a different versions of curl flats. You know, quarterback runs. They did the some bash reads that are typical outside zones. Um, Haas Juke. So, you know, this was the big play last year when they had actually guys who could win one-on-one -on -one for a change. You know what I mean? Um, so Haas Juke is a play that a lot of teams um, have been calling. I think it – I don't know if it originated in New England with Tom Brady um, and that offense, but it has been a favorite of theirs because um, whether it was Rob Gronkowski – running the juke or jerk route, whatever you want to freaking call it, in the middle of the field, uh, matched up with a linebacker, that multi-breaker, and just, you know, win one-on-one -on -one with the uh, other receivers running uh, vert curl concept, basically clearing out the middle of the field for that juke route just to do, um, uh, do work. And, of course, if you have a step on that guy deep, well, you know, let's take a shot or, you know, hit the man down the seam if there's an alley. So, um, when you have, you know, obviously guys you can win a one-on-one, -on -one, it's fantastic, as we saw last year. Um, this year, um, it has not just been so successful, but they did give it a try for sure. Um, speaking of, on some of the uh, – it was featured three times on Jones's scoring drive when he was 7-for-7. Seven seven. So you, you can't say it's not effective, but, of course, in that point of the game, loss off coverage. It's a, you know, it's an easy single high beater either either way. Um but, you know, they, of course, wanted to dip back to their running back rub wheel concept that they had some success with last year in addition to some scissors. But they didn't really go back to switches too much. They definitely did feature the running back wheel. Um, but overall, yeah, outside zones, split zones. But it was just an overall uh, another frustrating effort on the scoreboard. Um, in the end of the day, I think that moving forward – Florida should continue to give the young Richardson um, more playing time than Jones, but I would keep his lease short, uh, much shorter than a half, um, if things get a little too slow to get going here. So um, the other, uh, or the next game I had charted, let's say, it's Mississippi State hosting Kentucky. And we'll start with the victors as always. Oh, my gosh. Um, talk about uh, pitch and catch. Um, Kentucky missed 21 tackles. By uh, combined with you know rushing and you know just missing rallying to receivers in space, UK was terrible feeling soft um, early on and Leach noticed. So um, that basically meant Mississippi State wanted to test with 
these dink and dunks and RPOs. They ran a season-high RPO by volume, and they logged a season-high RPO play rate, my friends. Talk about, um, you know, hitting them where they're not, uh, you know, occupied or whatever. What's the air raid? Throw to grass type of thing. Uh, of course, with the RPOs and how UK was playing off the ball and their three-man and two-man fronts for a decent amount of the night, that's easy, uh, you know, easy pickings, at least at first, to get UK out of its comfort zone. So once that happened, of course, over the course of the game, um, Leach has been doing some of the things he um, that – I'm very proud he has started to do, which are more multi-breakers off of his core concepts, more deep double moves, things of that nature, more fake screens. He has really set up that aspect to generate more explosive gains. Now, it still sucks that his team is still dead last in explosive pass rate, but, you know, whatever. He's at least trying, my friends. He's at least trying um, because his quarterback really needs to be goaded to take shots downfield, and that's obviously the easiest way to get explosive gains. But anyway... Um, so early on, they had two successful cross plays, the tr traditional and bread-and-butter Y-cross, one of the um, air raid concepts that has really been adopted throughout all levels of football, and it's been really successful, obviously, because it's a great um, single-high beater. Um, if those, let's just say, second-level flank defenders, curl-flat defenders, are looking closer towards the line of scrimmage like he had been doing with the dinks and the dunks and whatnot, then you can just throw over their heads with a simple crossing route. So it begat two explosive completions and an explosive touchdown. Um, it was also on that unreviewed slash drop touchdown play in the second half. Of course, that was a big momentum swing type of play. I mean, it looked like, um, you know, the, it might have been dropped, but, you know, all scoring plays were supposed to be reviewed, and that was um, not. So very interesting move. Another interesting decision from the SEC officials this year, but either way, um, um, and later in the game, it drew a very clear uh, and key defensive pass interference on a third and four in the fourth quarter. And it was, um, you know, a very key type of play. It was five for five, and if you're including checkdowns as well, an additional two for two. So and a, a very effective concept against the Wildcats. Um, and it helped set up Skipper, which, of course, in the Steve Sarkeesian language, um, sorry for the vernaculars I'm dropping on you here with the nomenclature, but I just find it I find that stuff is just really kind of fascinating. How one thing can be called one thing from one staff to the next. It's really interesting language football at times. But um, in our vernacular, it's called the skipper sale. But it really does set up that bend. It's a bend back cross play. So like I just mentioned, how cross was just so freaking effective. Five for five, actually targeting the concept outright. Well, this is where that crosser bends back towards where he came from. So it's a little bit of like a hitchhiker's thumb. I guess that's where, you know, you get that uh, route name, concept name from Sarkeesian or whatever. You know, my thumbs go like straight up. So at first when I called thumb, I'm like, that's a really odd thing to call that. But um, after thinking about it, it's pretty obvious why it's called that. But either way, um, yeah, once UK was in single high, they just – could not really tackle in space despite having enough you know bodies in the vicinities and once they were just looking cl close to the line of scrimmage they were just thrown completely over their head so um yeah the, even though the run a lot of people say oh kentucky really really struggled against the run but not really they held um mississippi state to a 1.3 yards before contact average and a 35.3 percent success rate they had five negative carries tfls and nine of the 31 Carries had contact behind the line of scrimmage, so UK held its own up front, but it's just some situational battles 
uh, were more important than others. So speaking of Rodgers, three incompletions. He only had three freaking incompletions all night, throwing nearly 40 freaking passes. So um, the first one was a drop, and then the second one was a contested breakup. So that was the, like a, a true um, – 50-50 ball, but then the third one was just like a dropped interception. It was like a thrown-up ball, and this was a key, key swing in the game because the very next play, that player on Kentucky, he had a horse-collar horse tackle, and it sets up Mississippi State for a scoring opportunity. So just really bad execution from Kentucky, and uh, overall from Mississippi State, yeah, it really does pad their completion and accuracy numbers overall. So even though they lost the, the first quarter 0-10, to they rallied to score 31-7 to after that because, again, Kentucky just could not tackle in space. So on to Kentucky. So they're starting running back. Problem. Last few weeks, despite coming off a bye week, he looks not right, my friend. So I don't know exactly what it is. It's not disclosed exactly what it is. Of course, Mark Stoops has been very um, honest this week about how his star running back has not been at full health the past two games because he has not been able to practice the full weeks the past two games. Of course, when you're sitting on your couch in your little uh, bubble and you're watching games from afar and you're wondering, well, gosh, why isn't the SEC's uh, rushing leader starting the last two games? And I'm including the Georgia game. Let's not forget, this guy came off the bench. Chris Rodriguez came off the bench in the Georgia game. So something is missed even then. So um, something apparently was wrong with him but it's been hinted that he is back to full health and Kentucky needs him to being back at full health to have a uh, good thing moving forward but again he didn't start so Gavassier Smoke in his stead uh, 1 per 7 in success rate to start on his first few carries uh, but of course Chris Rodriguez did himself no favors fumbling um, his first touch which was a, a toss speaking of tosses Three tosses in Kentucky's first nine plays. And speaking of the outward outside run type of emphasis, which was the key, especially from under center, um, basically a third of their first, um, let's just say, 20, 22 snaps or so were outside-oriented zones or tosses. So that was obviously going to be a key game plan. But, of course, once the game turned, they had to abandon that, and they still could not find a freaking deep completion, of course, um, an interception on the first drive. Quarterback, you just got to lead your man to the end zone. You're all good. But Levis now 0 for 10, two interceptions on deep attempts since week four. So, yes, that is after Chattanooga, is including the Florida game. It is just uh, an element that has um, really handcuffed Kentucky. But, of course, after the Florida game, you got to remember for a stint, Josh Ali was hurt. So, even having him back last week, UK didn't really seem to be too anxious, or not anxious, but just too anxious or too willing to attack deep. They wanted to, of course, do ground and pound, but of course the turnovers are backbreakers, absolute backbreakers, especially when your defense can't get off the field. So um, hurt is no being no excuse for Mr. Rodriguez. Um, now they did have some interesting looks. They did a. Um, tackle counter triple option from um, 22 personnel. So that's two backs, two tight ends to start the second quarter. So that was a fun little wrinkle. So if they can do some more of that fun stuff moving forward to keep their run game a little bit more versatile, if they cannot pass the ball downfield, that'd be real cool. Um, the second interception, though, um, it was Trips China right before halftime. And it appeared that 
the solo receiver, I believe it was Isaiah Cummings. I didn't write it down, but I'm trying to go off memory. But I believe it was Isaiah Cummings. So he was running a sluggo route, but it was just like really poor communication where it looks like um, Levis was 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 anticipating a back shoulder fade, but of course uh, the route was not necessarily at that point in the progression. He just rushed it a little bit, I think. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Either way, it's an interception erases a scoring opportunity for Kentucky right before halftime. Terrible. And then the second one is just bad luck. Um, batted pass, seam pass after a, you know, a toss play. A lot of teams are starting to run power toss, kind of pop pass, you know, cross plays, whatever you want to call them, um, towards tight ends down the seam. But it was just batted right towards a defender, and it had no shot. Another backbreaker. Um, and after that, two touchdowns allowed after those two second-half turnovers. And uh, – that's that when Kentucky is really struggling to, like I said, manufacture explosive gains through the air um, on, for offensively. So, end of the day, Mississippi State's 3-3-5 held the Wildcats to a 1.0 rush yards before contact average, a 31.6 success rate, only one explosive carry. The Wildcats only broke four tackles. Um, I wrote down in my notes, owned. And that's no doubt about it, because you got to remember, Kentucky came into this game as the SEC's most successful rushing offense. They got owned in Starkville. And uh, I know Mark Stoops tried to make a point of not trying to lose in Starkville again, but it looks like his message did not go um, all the way towards his team, because they just looked downright disinterested to be in Starkville in uh, late October. So, on to Missouri and Vanderbilt. You know, this is... Um, turned out to be a disappointing season for the Tigers, but still a victory nonetheless. It was a rainy first quarter. Um, Basilak, he got crunched on that stretch option. Of course, I was later in the game, and uh, that's really unfortunate because like, it looks like he's going to be out this week, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but they went back to some more pistol alert RPOs. They do, they've been doing this throughout the season a little bit just to try and um, get ready to win anything situationally with open space. So um, unlike some teams like, you know, Alabama or LSU where the RPOs are from the gun and it's basically like a, a zone read kind of thing, but you also have like a, uh, a backside type of read with the pass, either it's double slants, a bubble screen, hitches, a stick concept, or even dual side t type of things like a lot of teams do as well. But either way, this is just, you know, quick tunnel screens, quick bubble screens from that um, pistol formation where you don't have that mesh. You're just really throwing hot based on the defensive formation. And if a guy's covered or not, you have got, you have numbers in space. Um, so, again, they're just trying to get little, little nitpicky gains here and there. They're not too good at it, but, you know, uh, that's what they have been trying. So they did score a touchdown or the first touchdown drive. They featured tag counters. What do you know? You know, speaking of tag counters, like tackle counters, so in uh, stat cat vernacular, tag counters, tackle and guard. Some people just call them G hyphen T, you know, whatever. Tackle counters are how they're categorized on the site. Uh, but, yeah, that was heavily featured. Um, they tried the double post wheel. I mean, I'm telling you, man, like a, a lot of teams are loving this double post wheel thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's becoming a lot of favorites for a lot of teams, um, particularly in uh, the red zone or in opponent's territory. Um, but that was checked down. They had to check down on that play. It was well covered. So um, 
Orbit plus outside zone on the touchdown. So Auburn did, did some of this stuff. So they're using some uh, motion to gain an additional hat towards the play side. And, of course, he has a little bit of momentum so he can hit somebody or seal somebody on a block. And if it's an outside uh, zone or something, that's a really nice little uh, tactic to facilitate winning on the edge. So that's what happened on the first outside zone. Of course, Missouri, you know them. They're going to hammer their freaking outside zone. And, boy, did they ever. It was a big day for Tyler Beatty. Um, his first two touchdowns were untouched. They were 13-plus yards um, from the outside zones. And they were all from the same uh, formation. All of the key outside zones were from the key formation. So in uh, our vernacular, it is basically uh, we do a lot of colors for tight end or a Y-based formations. So uh, our sniffer formations, if you want to call them that, where you have like a tight end l lined up. Um, either in the B-gap or a little bit behind the tackle in the backfield where he's not on the line per se. He's in, you know, he's he's acting a little bit like a fullback, a little bit like a tight end. He's a, ha you know, he's a halfy there. So in those formations where they had that with receiver, the twins away, um, again, two 13-plus outside zone touchdowns. Um, then he had a 45-yarder and then his 73-yarder. So fantastic formation and execution from the outside zone particularly out of that set um outside zone was 25 percent of calls and 42 percent of yards it dominated uh the production uh the passing success rate was okay 48.3 percent on the day um but it was nothing sexy whatsoever it was like last year's past patterns where it was a lot of you know horizontal type of attacking things really not really throwing the ball vertically so we, at, at the end of the day five checkdowns then Three play-action boots, two screens, two vertical out routes, two isolated out routes, and two spacing concepts. So the Hail Mary before halftime changed, uh, the, I think, absolutely the momentum and the trajectory of the game. It gave them the lead at halftime and uh, really did, you know, salvage a kind of lackluster first half there. So the second quarter was mostly their base offense. Uh, with the spacing and outside zone stuff after, you know, that tag counter stuff was seen early on. They kind of really did fall back on what worked, and that's just their base offense against someone like Vanderbilt. So pretty boring game overall. Of course, again, base lacks hurt moving forward, so we're going to keep an eye on how long he'll be out. So um, I don't know if it's been announced if it's going to be Macon or Cook, but it looks like it's going to be Macon based on who got uh, the snaps at the end of uh, the game last week. So. Vanderbilt. Oh, okay. Mike Wright, he is not a good passer, but his athleticism is tantalizing. And um, even though he is, you know, obviously not accurate or effective throwing the football or through that current attack, he obviously had two electric runs. Uh, the stretch option uh, was a big um, stretch option, and, uh, you know, the speed options were very nice, you know, early wrinkles like they they didn't save them they really did attack them early and they really did want to attack missouri's perimeter run defense with nub formations um a little bit from the first little bit so um the draw rpo it's a classic one where you have that slice concept like i said the vertical out routes on both sides of the formation you know you're pulling those linebackers out and you're really maximizing your remaining numbers in the box potentially if you know it all goes as planned, and of course they don't. You have an easy, you know, pitch and catch for six, eight yards. 
outside the numbers. So nothing too crazy. Spacing, Haas, you know, curl, uh, Haas, curl flats like we talked about earlier, but without the juke. Um, the corners, inverted sale, uh, inverted, uh, I'm sorry, smash concept. Uh, and th that was just overly because they really hammered those looks on their two-minute offense, and they got a lot of reps on those two drives uh, through in the third to end the second quarter and uh, in you know garbage time there when it was all but decided. So they did try our wheelie, so running back wheel post combination uh, on their last touchdown drive from a dumb formation, but it was incomplete. So for their standards, Vanderbilt having a 2.7 yards before con yards before contact is actually pretty good by their standards, guys. But you know, overall, you know, most teams were like, oh, that's kind of average. But for, for Vandy, that's I think that's the best of their season, especially after contact. I, I cannot imagine a better game than a 5.5 yak. I mean, come on, Missouri. Your run defense is so awful. Vanderbilt's averaging nearly six yards after contact against your sorry ass. It's pathetic. Snuff. But um, it's a 43 point, you know, 43% success rate. That's on the ground. That's you know, more or less average to below average. Not terrible, but it's just you know, it's it's not good. But it's whatever. But 41% broken tackle rate. It wasn't just like the two quarterback runs where like a you know like a guy broke one guy and uh, squirted for you know 70 yards. They consistently made the Tigers miss, and this is just a big concern. Of course, this is nothing new with that defense, but my goodness gracious. 139 of Wright's 157 design yards were on those two splash plays. So, well, Vanderbilt did have some um, you know, inflated numbers because of that. I do think it was a uh, another reflection of just Missouri's uh, uh, inept run defense. So... Last game before we move on. Oh, gosh, we have a good pace this week, guys. I guess that's what happens when only uh, there's four games. So Auburn and Ole Miss. Uh, this was a good game from Mr. Bo Nix. So we'll talk about Bo Nix in a second here. But um, so early on they did uh, some spacing concepts, you know, just trying to get Bo Nix, you know, get the blood flowing, I guess, get some early completions. So um, very interesting. But, the, you know, they just marched down the field doing their, their normal stuff. So far this season. So their first touchdown was a similar design to the, what they ran on a third and three versus Arkansas. It was the same side of the formation, same eye candy, fake reverse, or end around, and quarterback stretch play. A little bit of a pin pull if you want to be a little technical on it, but it's, I, I'm going to categorize it as a quarterback stretch. So um, that was that was fun. They, they went back to it later in the game. Um, obviously, it didn't go for a touchdown, but, you know. Um, so – Interesting design to get Bo Nix the ball. Um, and um, these two quarterbacks, at the end of the day, uh, Matt Corral and Bo Nix, they have a 60% first down touchdown rate in the red zone. Of course, they ran that play in the red zone. So, um, you know, both of those quarterbacks are definitely dangerous in that area of the field. And, of course, when they draw up plays like that for Bo Nix, it's easy to see why. But moving on um, – yeah, so they did some jet motions to the run as opposed to away, like I was just talking about um, earlier. You know, with that outside zone, you're bringing that additional receiver in motion towards where you're running the ball as if, you know, he's like a lead jet, you know, fullback or whatever, but he's a, he's a receiver. Um, so they did that with outside zone and counter. Um, I wouldn't. I don't, it wasn't really an effective thing overall, but it was just a, a thing they did early just to get a little bit space in the box. But it was clear, like a lot of teams this week, ironically, they wanted to attack the edge early. So once the edge was um, 
you know, it seemed like it was going to be a point of attack. Then they switched inside and did some duo stuff uh, with some powers, counters, you know, um, and they obviously loaded up some tosses as well. So, as we know, with this team, they have been a, um, a spread team in formationally. Personnel-wise, they have been very heavy uh, with 12 and 13 personnel. So, 58% of their snaps occurred with uh, two or three tight ends on the field this past week. That's 45 out of their 77 plays. And over three-fourths of their yards occurred in those sets. And we're talking about a, um, a yards per pass that is almost 14 yards. There's 75% success rate. Um, it's just incredible. Absolutely incredible. In all other formational groups, you know what you know what it was? 4.8, 31.8 without 12.3 without 12 or 13 personnel. Just it's night and day how um explosive and potent and game wrecking Auburn's tight ends have been this season. Now, now they have a pretty good test moving forward, of course, left on that schedule. But um, it remains to be seen if, you know, those guys can show up um, against the Tide. Of course, that's going to be the big barometer, the big test. But so far, I mean, it's by far one of the best in the conference. So it looked like Tanks Bigsby. You know, I don't know if he was hurt. You know, uh, I mentioned Chris Rodriguez. He had something maybe giving him a funk. Um, it may have been rumored that Tank Bigsby may have been having a little bit of a quote-unquote funk himself, but um, definitely not against the Rebels. Um, he broke 10 tackles. He had five explosive carries. He logged 100 yards after contact. Um, so, yeah, he was the bell cow that he is used to being. Uh, Mr. Hunter's efficiency the last couple of weeks, however, have just, you know, obviously taking a big smack to the face. They also tried the double post wheel. Um, I, uh, I drew up their particular pass pattern and formation up on Twitter on the whiteboard treatment. No defense. Sorry. I just did the offense. I was kind of, uh, in a hurry. I just, uh, that's what I did. So, um, that was the 35 yarder to Robinson. And then the very next play, they did another, you know, fake Fox wheelie concept with, uh, uh, their receivers to the same side of the formation to the boundary, but they had to check down. Uh, it was a really cool design with the Y inertia motion. So they did a tight end basically jetting across the formation and then pretending to block, but he's going to you know, work up the sideline on a wheel. Very fun little wrinkle there. And you have uh, a receiver also to that side running a post to um, get that vertical wheel switch going on there. So um, they had to check down, though. But overall, a very impressive performance from Auburn. Of course, we'll talk a little bit more about them later and uh, Bo Nix's numbers later, guys. Um, so, But, yeah, the poster wheel wrinkle I should, I should mention before moving on. This is a very important note. It wasn't just any other double post wheel. Um, they did a design where um, – Alabama basically ran this thing, different formation, different setup, but same three route concept where, you know, it's the same double posts and wheel, but they're just switching the responsibility. So, yes, the number one receiver will still run as post, but this time the number two receiver, instead of also running a post, he's the wheeler, and then number three will then be the additional poster towards the middle of the field. So, um, this exact design begat a touchdown for Alabama in the red zone, and wouldn't you know it, it begat an explosive completion for the Tigers. So, 
Um, maybe other teams revisit that, but it is a very interesting wrinkle to that um, particular pass pattern that I have mentioned has been a very favorite one as of late throughout the season. Um, definitely, def uh, definitely year over year. Um, even though it's not you know, necessarily like an every down type of thing, but you know you do see this a little bit more often than the average bear, um, at least you know across every offense in the country uh, in the conference. So Ole Miss, you know, typical script on their first down drive for the touchdown. Nothing particular, you know, that really stands out. Matt Corral, you know, he was hurt on uh, the first play of the second drive, and that really does change a lot of things. I mean, I wrote down in my notes, he's one tough son of a bitch. I mean, Jesus Christ. That guy came back. He, he really did play well, of course. You know, running in for a touchdown after basically uh, having bum ankles left and right, literally. Um, uh, but, yeah, Altmeyer. I mean, when he was in there, his busted uh, orbit play, action Yankee play. Um, that was interesting. It, you know, it resulted, in, I, I believe, in a sack. Uh, but, you know, once Corral was back in there, they just flipped that motherfucker, and that resulted in an explosive completion. So they did that in the third quarter. Very nice. So um, very interesting that he comes back on a second and 17, and speaking of Matt Corral, and he's able to you know rally a touchdown. So um, um, Ole Miss, they have a uh, RPO. Speaking of pop passes, I mentioned pop passes earlier, but this is in the RPO variety. I, I believe in their vernacular they call it popcorn because it is a pop pass. But it's essentially, you know, the three or the tight end will run a quick seam, you know, right up the seam, you know, just trying to get a little completion in the void from a biting linebacker or whatever. And you're also going to have a play-action bubble screen. So, you know, you are you have been setting up that stupid little Gus Malzahn bullshit crap inside zone bubble screen, but you just have that additional guy running up the seam that can get you something. So they were two for two on that look. Love it. Love it. So, um, you know, my notes are all over the place. Forgive me here. So, so yeah, they dives from the pistol. So um, this is usually an inside zone team. That Sure, they do do some gap stuff like all teams. They have, you know, uh, a lot of counters, inserts, stuff like that. But this was a week where they really did hammer um, the duo dive. They really did want to get um, Auburn – um, over-influence towards one side of the formation, and they would just create a hard seal, and then from that pistol formation, they would just have their backs go north and read a linebacker it, or bounce it if depending on he uh, you know collapsed in the hole or not. So um, that was somewhat effective, but they, they definitely did try it a whole lot. Um, they also did try to set up um, through dive and inside zones some Y-flat RPOs. You know, the, the tight end is just running a quick little flat route very akin to that bubble screen type of thing. Um, uh, you know, this was run on that failed fourth down in the second half after the muffed punt. So it was a uh, – it was seen a decent amount. It was from that bunch formation, you know, that little bunch set that a lot of people are like the running said duo die from these days. So um, they did try fox wheelie designs from those using that Y-flat type of action, but both – Failed situationally, so that's not particularly what you'd like to see. Um, you know, it's really just tough when you're down 11 and a half time. Uh, but you, you had three failed drives to start the second half, so you had your opportunities. They just could not get it done with all the nicks and bumps and just miscues, um, despite the grit and the heart to, you know, make it competitive somewhat. So um, they just way too many missed opportunities, stalling an, an Auburn opportunity. So the late interception. 
uh, you know, a lot of people, especially Spencer Hall, Spencer Hall, have been giving him crap, saying like, "Gosh, that is a Superman multi-confidence type of throwing, like a big cojones." You know, that is Major League Two walking around with big old marbles type of throw, type of attitude. And of course, it was undercut by <laughs> a defender very easily. So, um, yeah, he thought he could drive a ball 30 yards. I measured it was 30 yards from launch from where he threw the ball to the, his target. It was, it was a play-action waggle concept. You know, it was a flood. And once floods, if they're not open initially, the defense can recover, especially if you're in the end zone. You just have less windows. So. Maybe if it was higher or maybe it was a tad more. I don't know. It was very <laughs> risky either way. But, yeah, Matt Corral, he's a gung-ho quarterback. But, you know, strangely, uh, uh, very little interception so far despite his overly aggressive style. And um, despite that, um, that overly aggressive style perception, this offense's explosiveness continues to dwindle. So... How about that? Gosh, that was only 35 or so minutes on, you know, week nine. How about week 10? What's that going to have for us? I'm going to try and keep it brief. You know, come on, guys. We got game day to watch. We got, you know, we got to place our bets. You know what I mean? We got to get to going here. So um, all of our stats this week are going to be from SEC play numbers, all snaps. We're not going to exclude garbage time numbers. So this will standardize a lot of things for a lot of teams, even though, you know, it's very um, helpful. To isolate uh, out garbage time snaps, I think SEC snaps just in general, we should just see the whole picture here. So first game, it's going to be a nooner, Missouri and Georgia. Yeah, this is going to be an ass kicking. Like I said, uh, <laughs> Bayslack's going to be out. We don't know who's exactly going to start, but it's not going like, to matter. It's a high 30-point spread. Um, you know, Georgia is very, very strong. Um, speaking of, uh, let's just go ahead and spit out their their offense and defensive stats that they're very good in, so just so we can get this out of the way. Buckle in, guys. Okay, so in SEC play, they have the top yards per play, success rate, negative play rate, explosive play rate, lowest havoc play rate allowed, the best points per play, touchdown rate, and scoring drive rate. <sighs> Defensively. I'm just kidding. We all know they're good. Uh, they basically lead in everything. But the really thing that the thing that really does jump off their page with the defense is the 56% three and out rate in SEC play. My gosh, uh, <laughs> that is just incredible. And then you know, less than an eighth of their um, defensive drives have allowed points. Um, they're holding people. You know, as we know, they're defending the the modern spread better than uh, basically anybody. Um, it's a very interesting approach to resource allocation, essentially. So it's creeper alignments, you know, uh, simulated pressures, whatever you want to call it, um, defensive play action. You know, I'm an offensive guy. That's how I see it. They're they're pretending to show us something, but really going to try and do something else. Of course, you know, that type of idea is really nothing new, but how you position your guys and how you have certain techniques is certainly a um, hindrance to the modern spread. So it allows them to have two deep shells, you know, and it can disguise their coverages no matter what. Um, there's no pre-snap tip. You know, a lot of teams do um, pre-snap keys. Um, they can, you know, tell from single high or too high to single high pre-snap. But this is a much more disguised-based style where it doesn't necessarily give it away until the ball is snapped. 
and you know it it gives the illusion to quarterbacks that usually triggers hot throws when stuff's not open short. So, you know, that's not necessarily what you want for an offense, right? You only want to do the hot throws last case, you know, last case scenario. That's only in case of emergency break, make break glass, not as, you know, the thing you have to throw when it's not necessarily open. So the deep stuff is potentially open um, against this defense, but you know, no one's necessarily had the time to pressure them because, you know, they're, their front is just so dominant, as we all know. I mean, they have a 9.4% sack rate, and they're holding teams to a 1.3 yards before contact. My goodness gracious, great balls of fire. So, yeah, Georgia presently is the only team in SEC play to have a uh, plus 50% success rate and a below 25% havoc rate. So they are um, the only team that has been able to do particularly well in the SEC play so far. So, you know, a few weeks ago we had another, we had a few other teams over 50%, but here we are in November, and the Bulldogs, um, of course, at, <laughs> matching their standings are number one in that regard. So they're also first in touchdown rate, scoring drive rate, uh, you know, all that other stuff, like I said. Um, but the things that um, are kind of, you know, I wouldn't say red flags, but you know something to keep an eye on. They have a middling rushing success rate and explosive run rate. They're bottom five in yards before contact and sixth in yak average. So nothing really, you know, um, jumping off the page in that regard. So um, speaking of things that are not necessarily jumping off the page in that regard, Stetson Bennett, he remains to be really bad on third down. Um, that's a problem. Of course, uh, third downs are not necessarily um, things that you can necessarily pinpoint week to week. They are very volatile. They're very, you know, uh, full of variables, unlike more, you know, let's just say stable downs like first and second early downs. So these situations, you know, just have a lot more um, things that can go wrong, a lot more versatility, you know, down and distance, you know, place on the field. These are a lot more unique things. And so that just, you know, makes these a lot more volatile to predict. So whatever you want to slice it, JT Daniels, last year in SEC play, this year in SEC play, when he has played, has been very good on third down. But Stetson Bennett has been, like, bottom two, bottom first, depending on, like, the, the number of attempts you want to, you know, use as your qualifier in the conference this season, and that's just not what you need. Um, looking at his overall, you know, profile here, so, yes, his result metrics are fine, and if that's what you want to cling to, that is fine. So, he is number one in explosive pass rate. So a fifth of his pass attempts result in a 20-yard or more gain. That's good. Don't get me wrong. As is a 50.6 passing success rate. That's third best. And his first down touchdown rate is 42.7. That's second best. But here's the thing, guys. Some of his process metrics are very, very uh, forgettable, middling, lackluster, vanilla, um, it looks like there's some opportunity cost here. So he's his uh, eighth in completion percentage in SEC play, tenth in accuracy percentage, seventh in depth adjusted, and tenth in interceptable and uncatchable pass rate. So almost a fifth of his passes are uncatchable. That's almost as much as his explosive passes, and um, almost eight percent of his passes are interceptable and turnover worthy. So 
Um, that's not sustainable. Uh, even though as, as great as Georgia's defense is, you do not want to put them in that position too much, do you? So uh, I mentioned the wheels earlier. That's very nice. That's a big thing of this team. Of course, the cross patterns are big things for this team. But this is just going to be a very, um, let's just say, easy matchup for them against Missouri this week. So um, speaking of, it just should be a good opportunity to kick ass against Missouri's really crappy run defense. So they are dead last in um, explosive play rate and first down touchdown rate. Of course, explosive play rate in terms of teams are 20-plus yard runs and 10-plus yard – or I'm sorry, 20-plus yard passes and 10-plus yard runs. Easy for me to say. So, um, yeah, so – Basically, 40% are a new set of downs or a touchdown, and uh, one out of six plays are um, either you know explosive gain. They're second to last in, in success rate, down to down success rate. Um, the one good thing they have, they're top four in sack rate, but too bad you know George is one of the best at preventing those such things. So um, it's not necessarily a good matchup for them. So they're bottom five in tackle for a loss. They're bottom two in pressure rate and havoc rate. So it just looks like it's going to be a matchup where George is just going to manhandle them. Uh, without a doubt. So uh, I haven't seen the spread on that. Again, then we're gonna we're gonna do that like we did last week. I'm gonna go at it blind, and then we're gonna do our pick. But I mean, it's it's gonna probably be Georgia no matter what. So um, uh, even though both of these offenses do a decent amount of uh, movement, offensive movement, we know Missouri's just obviously been a lot more muted. So um, that uh, so Missouri's gonna come in with the lowest three and out rate. They've only had. Four three and outs in SEC play. Um, I, that's going to be tested. <laughs> Odds are they're probably they, – you know what? They're probably – what if they triple that? That will be nuts. Um, either way, um, yeah, it's going to be on Beatty's shoulders, unfortunately. So he's going to – this team comes in with an average yards before contact average throughout the uh, conference, you know, very middle of the road. Beatty is the top zone back by volume. He has the second most yards off the of screens and RPOs. He has the third most broken tackles versus SEC opponents. But the thing is, he has the third worst stuff rate. So, um, yeah, um, I think, again, that's a metric that's probably going to go up. I don't think he's going to get too many explosive games against this Georgia defense that has yet to allow a single 20-yard um, run this entire season. So not even an SEC play this entire season. So, yeah, this should be an easy one for Georgia. So on to... Liberty, 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 Liberty. Yeah, I hate those fucking commercials. I don't know about you guys. I hate them. So, yeah, I do judge some ads. Some are better than others, and I don't like those campaigns. But it's a very effective jingle. It gets stuck in your head, no doubt. So, Liberty at Ole Miss. So, it's going to be Hugh Freeze. So, this offense is basically what he was running at Ole Miss. It's a little tweaks. But, you know, it's a decent amount of 12 personnel. It's vertical. Power quarterback reads sometimes. Um, RPO-based, obviously. So, Really does want to maximize Malik Willis's skill set. Uh, he's coming in as the leading passer and rusher. He has 30 total touchdowns. 21 of those are passing, and he has nine interceptions. So that's the red flag right there for Ole Miss, right? That's your area of opportunity if your homeboy is coming in, averaging an interception every game. But the thing is, Liberty, even though this is not an opponent-adjusted metric, they come in seventh in the nation in EPA play for margin. They're both top 20 in run and pass offense. Um, they're better through the air on defense, but defensively overall, they're 32nd. So um, they're a lot better in the EPA because, like I said, it's not opponent-adjusted in the SP+, which is they are 36th in the SP+. 
33 offensively, 43rd on defense. So, you know, they're a good, not great team on paper. But, again, when you have a playmaker like Malik Willis and you have a defense like uh, Ole Miss's that is kind of iffy, um, you don't know what to expect, especially if you know you ha- your your uh, offense is still not necessarily at full strength. Ely has not looked like himself the last few weeks. Crowell is obviously banged up. Drummond looks a little banged up. Of course, Mingo hasn't been able to be on the field. And, um, yeah, it's, mm, it's, it's obviously hurt this offense's explosiveness. So um, Ole Miss themselves, you know, what, before I forget about talking about their SP+, since this is the only matchup that really – I care to mention that just just because you know we don't have um, per conference numbers. Um, Ole Miss right now still even despite the you know lack of explosives they're still the fifth best offense in the SP plus right now, but the defense is 59th. So again that's the area of opportunity for Liberty is to really let Malik Davis to uh, TCOB as they say take care of business. So 21st overall in the SP plus, but um, Corral, I mean he's a big reason why that is the the fifth best even though he is hurt he is one of the sec's most efficient rushers so if you saw the stat blast this week yeah his name kept popping up a lot i already mentioned he's one of the sec's most efficient red zone threats so um he's one of the best in the second half both throwing and running he has the top first down touchdown rate um uh among the quarterbacks in a lot of uh, situations in like facets you know if it's power if it's zone He's very, very effective in a lot of ways. I mean, he's. I mean, if you remember a few weeks ago against Tennessee, of course they were doing a lot of draw plays, and of course that helped inflate his numbers. But um, he's had other games where he's had to use his wheels, and you know he's never been one to not hawk a red zone touchdown, like I mentioned with his high percentage there. So he's always been kind of a dangerous runner to an extent. So um, one thing that is interesting, though, so. Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin, you know, they like to use some pace. They like to use the run game to set up their pass game. But you know what, guys? Even though Matt Corral is the most voluminous play-action passer in the SEC, he uses play-action at the highest rate, and he has thrown for the most yards off of the tactic, right? Despite that, he's 10th in success rate, and his accuracy is 9th. That doesn't seem like it's a long-term um, good idea. I mean, the volume's coming, but the efficiency is not there. And like I said, if you're doing play action and you're not begatting explosive gains, it's not necessarily um, a preferable thing. Now, all in all, um, you know, I like, to, I like to talk about floor passing. Floor, what's a passing floor, Clark? What is a passing floor? So when you are eliminating screens, when you are eliminating RPOs, when you are eliminating pressures, and you are only looking at a quarterback's throws when he's in the pocket in clean and pristine conditions, and you're asking, hey, man, can you go out there and hit your target? Can you just go out there and throw a pass, complete the pattern? Can you do that for us? Can you do that? That's your passing floor, what your bare minimum ability is in those situations. He is the fifth best first down touchdown rate and the second best raw accuracy. That cannot be ignored. Um, even though I know Lane Kiffin certainly does like to use that play action tactic, you cannot um, ignore the fact how it has soured his um, his overall output. So, like he's he's you know he was one of the better accuracy, and you can say he was hurt, sure, but you know overall um, he's just not among the top three in the precision metrics anymore just because of this you know underlying 
flaw in his profile here. So, um, and it's also interesting to note um, on passes that travel beyond you know the line of scrimmage ten yards or more, his accuracy percentage is ninth, which is you know forgettable. It's not great. It's not what you expect from the quarterback one of the conference, or at least you know a lot of the people's quarterback one um, entering this season. So. He, um, but the interesting thing behind that, he has the third best deep accuracy and the second most deep yards. So he that part of his game is still strong. Um, it's just, yeah, his mid-range game is just not quite as sharp as it needs to be. That's got to be the area of opportunity for him moving forward. So um, I don't know if he's going to still want to keep moving, but um, he's just got to work on his throws from 11 to 19 yards downfield. That That's going to be the thing that's preventing a lot of yak opportunities, you know, things up the seam that could maybe turn into um, bigger splash gains. But overall, Ole Miss, um, they're still a, a pretty good offense and not a great offense anymore, really. Uh, but top five touchdown rate in SEC play, top five scoring drive rate, but they're average in points per play because they run a lot of plays. Um, and they're kind of average in explosive plays, like I mentioned. So they're bottom three in rush yards before contact, and you damn well know that's going to take a um, play a, play a toll. They're bottom five in negative run rate, but the thing is, they have uh, they're still top four in uh, fifteen plus run rate. So that's not too bad because you know why they're <laughs> top two in yak. Yeah, their guys are pretty good uh, busting out of tackles, but again, let's make their job a little bit easier and give them a little bit more cushion on an average because that's basically how um, the end of the day, their middle-of-the-road rushing success rate is, that's how it evens out. Defensively, um, their average themselves at getting havoc plays like that. Um, they're not too great at, at stifling uh, you know, explosive gains. They're bottom four in explosive play rate allowed. They've allowed five 35 yards or more passes and seven 20-yard or more um, runs. Uh, the bottom three in pressure rate, despite being top two in sack rate. So, like, they're, you know, the the ones that get home matter, but um, the, the the pressure rate is not fantastic. So, um, but they, they, they themselves are bottom three in yards before contact uh, or bottom five in yards before contact. Not too great. They're bottom three in completion percentage allowed. So, speaking of Malik Willis, you know, these are two – Still Heisman hopefuls, if you want to call them that, but you know both are looking for good games. So knowing that you know Ole Miss is not particularly the most sharpest pass defense themselves, this could be a real big game for both quarterbacks to um, get things done through the air and on the ground. But you know missed tackles, bottom three Ole Misses, bottom three in overall success rate. You know they're allowing nearly a 50% success rate for opponents. In SEC play, that is just really, really bad. So, you know, and I also mentioned Liberty kind of likes 12 personnel. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention against 12 personnel. Um, and, of course, it's a little bit inflated because Auburn kicked their ass last week in 12 personnel. But in that, against SEC opponents in 12 personnel, Ole Miss has allowed an 11.4 yards per play or a yard per pass with 5.4 yards per carry on a 7.1 yards per attempt. Uh, with a completion percentage of 84.2, they have allowed the SEC's second worst defensive success rate, defending those personnel groups with a 41.7% defensive success rate. Just um, not what you'd like to see if you're a Rebel fan in this matchup. So um, the SP Plus thinks it's going to be a little bit closer, perhaps, than the uh, final line, but. Um, 
I still don't know the final line, so I'm only going off the SP Plus. So that's usually right about my gaugement there. But you know what? It's still going to be a fun matchup either way. It should be a lot of points. So how about this one? Auburn versus Texas A&M. So I really do like this game. I mean, this is going to be a really good game, I think. I hope so. I'm probably going to live chart this game, spoiler alert. Um, but it just depends on if I can finish one of the nooners. Um, spoiler alert, probably won't be Ole Miss. Like I said, they run a lot of plays, and that's not good. The live chart's not fun. Um, so a lot of people think that you know, Bo Nix has turned the corner, and it looks like it from afar. I'm not ready to say it. No siree. Clark Brooks is not ready to say Bo Nix has fixed all of his uh, flaws. Um, but look, stat blasts don't lie right now. It might be an income statement, a snapshot of what's happening right now, but to this point in the season, he has been the SEC's most accurate deep passer. He has the second best overall raw accuracy percentage. Um, he has done well on schedule. There's no doubt about it. So basically since he has been benched, a third of his targets have consisted of curls, slides, flats, hitches, and spot hooks. Um, that's a lot. That's a, it's a decent portion of one's offense. Again, that's just like taking what the defense gives you, just like right there. That's an easy completion right there. So um, in that time, he has the second-best overall 10-plus-yard um, accuracy in addition to the deep accuracy. So, again, it's, uh, yeah, he might be just taking the short stuff, but he's also – getting stuff downfield. But when you do some digging, as you know I like to do with the stats, and like I mentioned with the floor metrics a little bit ago, it's still frustrating. He's 10th in floor accuracy with the 6th best first down touchdown rate. When you look at him behind the chains and on third down, he's still iffy off schedule. You know what I mean? Um, so when they can get him you know, feeling comfortable and being a robot quarterback, yeah, he's been effective. He can be effective. Um, but when things kind of go awry, you know, he's still pretty good at playing backyard ball, but I'm just talking about when he's asked to throw in the pocket compared to his peers, he is still not exemplary in any shape or form, any shape or form. So, um, Auburn in general, they have a below average three and out rate, touchdown rate, scoring drive rate and points per play. Texas A&M has a pretty good defense. Last time I checked. Uh, but, you know, while Bo Nix has been kind of the backbone of this team, again, they're passing more. They're, I think they were the fourth most pass-heavy offense last time I checked. I didn't write it down. I didn't feel like they needed to, look, to write this one down. I, I apologize. You know, I only have so much room on my notebook, guys. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Auburn, Tank Bixby, how he looked last week, one would like to think they would like to try out Texas A&M's run defense, but here's the thing. Um, even though Texas uh, Bixby is not not overly efficient, um, he's not top 10 in any metric, despite last week's performance. And if you're going to be wanting to lean on your run game in the second half on the road uh, to date, Tank Bixby has a bottom five second half rushing success rate. Um, I mentioned Auburn has a below average yards before contact. Their bottom four yak average as a team. That's disappointing. Overall, their rushing success rate is bottom five itself. So um, that's not necessarily um, too auspicious. 
when you're facing a defense like Texas A&M that really kind of uh, specializes in stopping the run. So as good as Georgia's run defense has been this year, Texas A&M's unit has missed fewer tackles on average. They have the best run missed tackle rate in the SEC. Basically only one out of five opportunities result in a missed tackle. Um, they have the second lowest rushing first down touchdown rate allowed and the second best success rate allowed, only second to, you guessed it, Georgia. And they're also top three in yards after contact. So they, they really do minimize chances on the ground. So this is a major test for Auburn's run game. So uh, you would like to think pregame, you know, the advantage w is with Texas A&M, but on that side of the ball. But again, uh, Auburn has been playing really well through the air as of late. So back to them. Um, yeah, they're playing well as of late, but their overall profile is still kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, they're overly average offense relative to everyone else, but they have the second-best negative play rate. That cannot be ignored. Not moving backwards cannot be ignored. Like I said, when Bo Nix is on schedule, it's very, very effective. Um, they're, but they allow a bottom-five pressure rate. They have a bottom-three – uh, but but a top three sack rate because Bo Nix is able to get out of stuff. You know what I mean? Bottom five havoc, though. They are flustered, no doubt about it, and that has hurt their explosive playability, whether it is early contact on the ground or if it is, you know, a pressure busting of play. So bottom five explosive uh, play rate um, despite being top four in uh, passes. Basically, uh, a tenth of their passes result in 20-yard gain, which is uh, okay. It seems like explosive passing is down in the conference to me. Um it certainly feels that way. I remember, I remember, uh, I remember back in my day, <laughs> no, when the fourth place explosive pass guy was at least in the double digits. I mean, come on, guy. So um, I guess we can bust out the um, the twelve personnel numbers. How's that sound? How's that sound? So we're gonna go to Auburn's concept page live right now as I'm doing this on the site secstatcat.com, where you can check out you know pass charts, run charts. SEC statistical leaders and a lot of advanced things like depth adjusted accuracy percentage, first down touchdown rate, um, uh, average depth of target, a lot of fun, fun stuff that really does give you a lot more context on how your favorite college players actually play relative to their peers. So like I said, we're going to dive a little bit on um, Auburn's 12 personnel because it's been very effective for them. And then we're going to talk about just a little bit of glancing on how A&M has defended that before we talk about Andy's offense and uh, Auburn's defense. So I mentioned against um, Ole Miss, uh, multi-personnel or multi-tight end sets were quite effective against the Rebels, but it wasn't just them. Basically only one or two games um, have the 12 personnel sets kind of like faltered. But they did some switching, some you know, some tactical changes, and of course they got more reps, they got more comfortable with each other, and the results are pretty good so far. So um, the run game, it's a lot more explosive overall. Six yards of carry essentially, six point oh seven success rate is just under fifty percent, forty nine point six percent. Um, uh, I, I, but the passes, you know, ten point six yards per attempt, sixty two point two percent success rate. So. Whether their favorite looks out of this, they like you know play action bootlegs, um, curl flat patterns, some shot plays, quick outs, all curls. Like I said, they're just taking advantage of what the defense is giving them. You know they're getting matchup opportunities with the personnel opportunities. It's making the defense you know um, focus a little bit more inside, and they're just you know getting easy completions. Um, 
outside of the hashes. What can you say? So, um, leading the way have been duos, 26 um, so far. Um, and then after that, you get, like I said, sweeps and outside zones, 18 and 13 for them. Um, the run game, like I said, it's not overly like explo- It's not overly uh, consistent, I should say. It's more um, explosive-based. But that's both aspects for the 12 personnel. So A&M defending the 12 personnel. Um, guess what, guys? Yeah. Top five first down touchdown rate, 31.6. Not too shabby. Um, but um, um, the, the second best success rate with the second best completion percentage. That is going to be a fantastic matchup. Will Texas A&M's defense be able to stop this 12-13 personnel type of um, um, unit that Auburn has been you know, unleashing the last month or so, you know, really hammering this year. So um, overall, A&M is top three in first down touchdown rate with the second best success rate, top four in tackle for a loss. They're top, uh, they're top two in big pass rate with a top five half rate. So they're a very well-rounded defense. Of course, I already mentioned how good they were defending the run. But offensively, they're still going to be kind of driven – by their run game, of course, they themselves have had a kind of an up and down run game because um, of up and down line play. Um, Spiller and a cane, a chain. Um, they're very, um, you know, they're very robust in their own right. They're one of the conference's most voluminous rushers. Um, a cane is really good on third down himself. He's one of the best third downs. They're both top four in zone yards. They're top seven in yards after contact. Um, Texas A&M in general, they are the best team after contact in the SEC, 3.3 um, average, and that's allowed them to have the top yards per carry in the conference, So, or at least in SEC play, I should say. So um, while, yeah, their their line has improved, and uh, you know the last week you know, really leaning on their run game helped, they now have a top four yards before contact at 2.7. You know, after the first month of the season – I would have said you're you're full of shit uh, because that line was absolutely terrible. But you know um, they are bottom four in negative uh, play rate, and it's because um, you know they haven't been so good preventing pressures. Zach Calzada faces pressure more than any other SEC passer. Basically, thirty-two percent of his uh, attempts have experienced duress. That's terrible. And um, like I mentioned, with that negative play rate moving backwards. 50% of his damn chances have occurred behind the chains and behind the chains he has the 10th worst success rate and he's not too he's not particularly good on third down either so uh, while he's fine on on you know in structure on time in rhythm kind of like Bonex um he is just absolutely smacked in the face by the numbers of pressures he faces so while the run game is it's fine. You don't necessarily like to lean on yards after contact consistently, but it's nice you have that fallback, especially if the cushion is getting better. Um, overall, down to down, their success rate and touchdown rate is just average. Um, even though they are top four in points per drive and they are top five in scoring drive rate, again, I wouldn't view this offense as an overly like exceptional unit, even though they are creeping up the SP plus units, you got rankings and all that, and obviously in the SEC rankings here, but um, Calzada himself, um, he put, he throws the ball 10-plus yards downfield more than anyone else. He's not particularly bad at those throws, uh, mind you, uh, but 
It's just he does leave some throws sometimes in harm's way. He does press. He does throw into contested windows sometimes. Of course, that's not necessarily his fault because um, history, uh, newsflash, his receivers aren't the best at you know separation. So um, sometimes he kind of has to press a little bit. So, um, you know, I kind of wrote him off a little bit early, but he's fine. Um, he, I don't think he's a liability yet, but um, I – Look, if they're going to have to depend on him to win in third-down situations or, you know, in crunch time, it's not going to necessarily be a good outcome for Texas A&M, in my opinion, because Auburn themselves have a top-five first-down touchdown rate on defense with a top-five success rate and a top-five explosive play rate are loud. Um, well, but like A&M, their um, prowess is defending the run. So um, even though they are bottom four in tackle for a loss, Right, they are really good at curbing big runs. Uh, not necessarily getting those negative runs, but getting um, very little gain. So, um, they they they're second best in ex in, in big runs. Only one 20 plus yard run in SEC play, and they have the second best yards before contact. You know, that's a little. It's pretty easy to you know uh, limit big runs when you're hitting a guy as soon as he crosses the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, obstacles are very very nice when you have like a Frisian horse of a front. It's really tough to get through consistently. So um, even though they have a bottom two turnover-worthy play rate, only 3% of their defensive snaps um, could generate turnovers. That's kind of low. Um, uh, they do have a bottom four takeaway rate because just because, yeah, they just don't have that level of play consistently, like pressures or, you know, deflections or things of that sort. So overall, Havoc is kind of average, um, which is, you know, a little over expectation based on their turnover, the play and, and, and takeaway rate, but um, you know, it, it's you you would like to see just a little bit more. Uh, I don't know, uh, impactful plays. Now, this is a Derek Mason unit. It's obviously effective to a, a certain extent, but the fact that you know they're kind of overly passive and reactive is, um, you know, an interesting matchup against this A&M team that's certainly going to want to establish the line of scrimmage. So, again, like I said, they're very good at limiting that type of stuff. And, and if Calzada is going to be have to, you know, put under the gun, it's not going to be a good uh, matchup necessarily for the Aggies. So, whew, that's a good game. It's going to be a good game. I think so. I think it's going to be a good game. Okay. Then, okay. Now, this is – talk about an interesting matchup. These two teams, um, they're like – they're almost like bizarro versions of each other. They're both spread offenses, sure, but they just go about things completely differently. So, okay, I guess we'll start with uh, we'll start with the air raid. So last, they're coming off a very good week where they picked Kentucky to bits. Um, um, th these teams are dead even in the SP plus, despite having these you know disparaging styles of play. Mississippi State's 32nd, Arkansas's 33rd, um, identical scores, essentially. So uh, Mississippi State, they are, of course, the air raid. They are um, increasingly and, uh, unfortunately, a methodical-based offense that does long drives, nickel and diming, take what you give, throw to grass, not necessarily drive the ball downfield or try and um, aggressively seek explosive plays every series. Now, 
There are times where they do, like I mentioned, do the double move stuff, the skipper thumb stuff, um, bend back stuff, fake screen stuff to manufacture um, big gainers. Sure, they do that. But look, down to down, they are just all about, you know, plugging forward. That's why they are the worst conference, uh, worst uh, offense in the conference in explosive play rate. So um, they're better than Arkansas's offense on a drive by drive basis. Um, and like I mentioned, Mississippi State, as you can imagine, because of the methodical nature, men should just stay on the freaking field. They have the second best three and out rate and the second best havoc rate allowed. So they are not altered a whole lot. Again, the drop eight. That's been a lot of people have been trying to do to get them out of their comfort zone. Drop a lot of people back into coverage. Of course, Kentucky didn't do that last week. They, they decided to rush four, and they just triggered typical, you know, Air raid reads, normal reads, like you have it on the, on, the, on the whiteboard. That's how all offensive coaches are designed to beat coverages with a four-man rush. But when it's a three-man rush and there's an additional guy back there, yeah, things can get a little, hmm, a little iffy. But uh, Arkansas's offense, in comparison, they are um, explosive to an extent. They are dinky and all or nothing. So they have a lot of RPOs to space, um, some slants, hitches, bubbles, tunnels, that type of thing as well as solo vertical routes and weak side floods as well. You know, they do some strong side floods as well. I shouldn't necessarily rule them out. This team um, calls a dash sail concept, um, a delayed rollout concept, sail concept, you know, strong side flood, um, a good amount. So, yeah, I should not, you know, rule that out whatsoever. But, um, uh, yeah, they are more explosive. Um, they are less methodical. Uh, they're, but they are less – um, prone to scoring. You know, they've had to play Georgia this year, and, of course, that does skew the numbers some, you know, getting blanked. But they have a bottom three scoring drive rate. They have a bottom four three and out rate. They have a bottom four havoc rate allowed. They have a bottom three pressure rate allowed. And they have the second worst sack rate allowed. So despite being the second most explosive offense, uh, you know, both things are top five, passes fifth. And they have the, actually the most explosive rushing offense. And I'll talk about – their uh, backfield in a second, but um, despite that, they have an average rush yards before contact, so yeah, it's an offense that does get some field flippers, it does keep them in ball games, it's just something that, you know, it just leaves a little bit to be desired, and leaves areas of opportunity, kind of like the air raid, it's like, yeah, it's kind of, I see why it works, but, um, or at least this version of it, uh, you know, there are, the air raid can still be explosive, don't say it's dead yet. <laughs> Um, especially because, look, if Mike Leach is starting to do um, a high RPO um, play rate compared to his past, maybe he's starting to change. But, you know, this is a team that still does target screens a good amount as well. So, like, one out of nine plays on average is basically a, a true screen as opposed to an RPO outlet or whatever. But, um, yeah, they're, they're completely different approaches. And, of course, that, that flips over to defense as well. When Mississippi State has the three-three-five, the aggressive, the st the stunts, the we're gonna be uh, all up in your face and we're gonna blitz the shit out of you. We're gonna stunt you and make you into bad decisions and seek havoc. Well, the drop eight, Barry Odom style is like, well, we're just gonna sit back and you're gonna make a mistake sooner or later. Well, uh, uh, as of late, defenses haven't necessarily been making too many mistakes. So, um, where do we want to pivot? Do we want to talk about that? Sure, we'll talk about that. So we'll talk about Mississippi State's offense. So Rogers obviously coming off that, um, I would say electric, but just, uh, you know, 
taking what Kentucky gave him type of performance in Lexington last week. So his accuracy is still near the top of the conference. Um, his structure and decision-making is still strong, so his interceptable pass rate remains kind of low. Um, um, behind the chains and against pressure, he's still kind of whatever. But, again, when this offense is allowing the second-best havoc rate, despite by volume sacks are a problem. Cause, I mean, when you pass a lot, you're going to log a lot of sacks. But by a, by a rate basis, it's okay. But, you know, the pressure rate is still kind of – it's still fine. It's the, you know, it's the lowest in the conference. So it's fine. But when Rodgers d- does see those, and again, by volume, it's a hefty amount. They are not necessarily um, good results by any shape or form. So um, the run game, still bad. Worst run yard before contact. It's not something you can depend on. Um, situationally, their running backs are fine because they're usually set up with short yardage situations or, again, advantageous boss counts. They're meant to do well. They're fine in that regard, but – um, and, you know, this is a matchup to keep an eye on that because, look, the drop eight, the three downs, putting eight man in coverage, really covering her ass, plugging all these passing lanes, trying to confuse, you know, the, uh, the passing concept read rules from, you know, the, the quarterbacks um, into throwing interceptions or whatever. Um, it does allow opportunities to run the ball, and that, that's why Arkansas has the second-worst rush yards before contact average in SEC play, bar none, second-worst. Uh, they also have the second-worst sack rate and the bottom four um, accuracy percentage. So, so, again, like when you're dropping eight, it allows opportunities if you just want to be patient and be methodical, and that's kind of what Mississippi State does. Again, Kentucky played this way last week. I don't know if it's going to work out for Arkansas um, this week, even though it is going to be a home game. Um, that is just absolutely something to consider. So Arkansas, they are top four in 15-plus play rate and top three in rushing missed tackle rate. Again, it's not necessarily the, the matchup to boast that. It's not going to matter. Again, Mississippi State's not necessarily going to be seeking 15-plus plays. They're going to be happy getting methodical stuff and earning these yards, earning these drives. Um, but the difference is if they can cap drives, if they can finish drives and not you know have to settle on field goals, which has been kind of a problem for them this year. So – uh, Arkansas overall, even though they're top four in 15-plus play rate, they're below average in explosive play rate allowed. Again, that is 20-plus yard passes and 10-plus yard runs. So um, speaking of uh, – I guess let's look to Arkansas's offense. Like I said, some other stuff. So K.J. Jefferson, he's coming off his best game. No doubt about it. Um, he was accurate on all five of his deep attempts, even if all five of them were not completed. Um, he gets credit in my book. He was accurate. That's what I'm talking about, my man. So um, he is also, at this point in time in SEC play, the most explosive zone rusher. So um, whether it is a zone read or a quarterback, you know, split zone like they do sometimes from empty with inertia motion, really cool designs, just fun stuff they do. Um, he's the second most explosive, so 10-plus yard runs on average, basically one out of every five attempts. Very nice. <laughs> um, fourth overall explosive uh, run rate in SEC play. Um, he has the top first down touchdown rate and success rate um, on zone. So he's very, very, very effective. Overall, his yak average is 4.1. And you know what? He has the most deep passing yards in the SEC. So um, talk about checking a lot of boxes. He is. He is. So uh, currently only Bo Nix has a preferable deep accuracy percentage than his clip. Um, but the thing is, when you look at SEC play, that drops down to 10th. Ooh, like I said, 
Last week um, against Arkansas Pine Bluff, um, he really did pad his numbers. Um, overall, though, on his 10-plus yard attempts, ninth in overall accuracy, um, despite the third most rate. So, like, he, he's doing that at the third highest rate in the entire conference, targeting 10-plus yards downfield. So, um, despite that fourth most RPO play rate. So, that should just really stress how all or nothing, you know, dinking or chunking uh, this type of offense is. Um, he's not particularly strong on third down, 10th in success rate. Um, overall, he's 10th in success rate with the 8th best depth-adjusted accuracy. So, yes, he's getting some explosive gains. Yes, he is coming off a game where he was really accurate throwing the ball 20-plus um, yards downfield. Overall, his precision is still kind of lacking um, compared to his peers. So, um, this is an area of opportunity. So, he's going to see a lot of pressure for him uh, against this, you know, 3-3-5 type of defense. He's could potentially take advantage of some cover zero, some cover one, some one-on-one matchups with the type of um, one-on-one shot plays they'd like to dial up on occasion. But um, overall, Mississippi State is the 20th SB Plus defense in the nation. So got to keep that in mind moving forward. So this defense, like I mentioned, is very aggressive. Um, and, of course, it's <laughs> obviously helped by getting four takeaways from Kentucky last week. Or was it four or was it three? I can't remember. But um, – Top takeaway rate in the SEC, 4.2% with 11 by volume. Um, they're average at allowing points, which, you know, it's to be expected from a, an, an aggressive defense. Sometimes you give up some big plays. So um, they're top three in yards before contact. They really do hinder the line of scrimmage. They're top two in uh, tackle for a loss. They're top five in sack. They're top two in first down touchdown rate. How about that? 26.4%. Um and they're also top three in overall uh, success rate. So top two in yards per game. So they are a very good defense overall. Do not over or do not underestimate the Bulldogs here. Um, and they're fair, but they do miss some tackles uh, on advantage. And like I said, they do allow some explosive plays. So um, before the Kentucky game, before they face Kentucky's hapless deep passing offense, they allowed a um, big quote unquote pass play so a 35 plus yard or more pass play on seven percent of their sec snaps entering last week's game of course kentucky they didn't get any because that's an offense that's really struggling at getting that type of thing so um that has gone down but um playing against arkansas of course that offense that has actually been good and um uh, interested in throwing the ball downfield a little bit with some proclivity that is certainly something to keep in mind um paired with that aggressiveness so um, no, I do have notes on this game, but I don't know how much I should talk about it. It's LSU and against Alabama. LSU is banged up to hell. Alabama has been playing fairly well. They have the top points per drive in SEC play. Um, they're still kind of lackluster in some things, like they're bottom four in yards before contact. Um, they still allow a decent amount of havoc. Um, they allow actually the worst pressure rate as a team at 37.4% and the ninth in sack rate 6.6 in SEC play yikes 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 but of course there's also good stuff because Bryce Young is just a Houdini and a eraser of havoc so he himself has helped deliver a top three success rate for Alabama a 15 plus play rate you know one out of eight plays basically on average gains um 15 yards 
and uh, a top three turnover rate as well with a 1.1 clip. Overall, um, top two touchdown rate only, like I said, George, like earlier, um, Georgia only Georgia has a better touchdown rate, scoring drive rate, and points per play. Um, so, yeah, they're still a very, very, very good offense despite the um, adversity that they've seen. It's, it's very – it's a very nice testament to the playmaking skills of their quarterback. And of course, his Heisman um, chances are improving week by week. Um, not so much for the other side of the ball. Of course, LSU, they're reeling, man. They're reeling. Um, so defensively, they have a bottom three first down touchdown rate. They have the worst defensive success rate. They're allowing opposing offenses basically a 52% success rate. Of course, like I mentioned earlier, only Georgia has a as a team across their entire SEC slate ha is the only team above a 50% success rate, and they're at like a 50.6. Again, LSU's defense is even is averaging above that. So that should just tell you how disappointing for the second straight year this defensive unit has been against SEC opponents. So. Um, um, uh, the worst tackle for a loss rate, 7.2, not great. Bottom four in yards per game, 15-plus uh, play rate. Bottom five explosive and touchdown rate allowed. Um, bottom two in accuracy, so teams are just able to pass on them. They're not getting sacks. They're bottom four and three and outs. They're staying on the drive. It's just not great. It's just not a great thing. It's a really bad matchup, and like I said, they're really banged up. Um, you know, uh, again, I don't know if there's too much time to spend on this game just because, like I just said, but, you know, we can flip to uh, the, the offense for the Tigers. The run game has been better. Yeah, okay. Uh, TDP, he has he was on a number of the stat blasts this week, you know, with the rushing stats, rushing stats so that cannot be ignored. That is absolutely um, an area, you know, you know, some silver linings, but, you know, Looking at the cumulative, it's still whatever. It's still who gives. So um, LSU is top five in yards before contact with a, an okay 2.6% clip, but they're still bottom four in broken play rate, 13.8%. The rushing success rate is now at 50%, but you know what? Oh, well, that's only like tied for fifth or sixth in the conference. It's nothing special. Overall, their, sex rate, their success rate is bottom Five with a bottom four sack rate, pressure rate, and a bottom three havoc rate. Their scoring drive and explosive play rates are average at best. So it is, again, just a very capped and muted and really not sexy approach from LSU. So it seems like their best games this season or their best drives have been kind of gap-schemed, RPO-based, at, at, at early parts and then mix in some zones mix in some play action bootlegs don't let max johnson sit in the pocket you know let him either be a facilitator with rpos or get him on the move with some bootlegs or play action so um you know a lot of this offense's um designs this year have been quick passing games just because the offensive line has been let down uh blocking the affirmation zone sometimes um but, you know, it's been stick, slants, and even those pre-snap decisions have been kind of a problem for Max Johnson. He hasn't been great um, executing those types of looks. So uh, when you do other things for him, he is an okay game manager. But, like, you know, his, his natural arm talent 
leaves stuff to be desired, so you kind of have to do that stuff. Um, he has okay metrics, but, you know, again, he's still young, still despite being a veteran, but I don't know if he's going to be back to being full health or not. Or if, you know, the youngster, GN, is going to start some getting some more PT. So that offense itself is not particularly great. Looking at Alabama's defense, they have the top tackle for a loss rate. That's not what you'd like to hear if you're a Tiger fan. 11.2% of Alabama's defensive snaps in SEC play have resulted in a loss. They are top three in uh, sack rate. They are top two in explosive play rate. They are more likely to get a tackle for a loss than allow either a 20-plus yard pass or a 10-plus yard run. Think about that. Now, that's a Nick Saban standard right there if you ask me. So, even though they are average down-to-down in terms of um, success rate and they have a middling first down touchdown rate, um, just that high up in, you know, that uh, that natural volatility, those drive killer type of plays are certainly a Saban trait. So, they have a top four touchdown rate allowed and three and out play around, three and out rate allowed. So, um, also, uh, despite being bottom four in completion percentage, you know, two-thirds of their conference opponents' passes have been completed. That's undeniable. They're still top four in accuracy percentage. They are allowing off-target throws because they are effective th- affecting things. They are affecting the pocket, and they are very good. So um, both defenses have similar um, missed tackle rates, pressure rates. They're both b- actually bottom three in turnover-worthy play rate allowed. You know, I just mentioned, like, the, the Saban Havoc stuff. Well, they haven't really led to turnover-worthy plays too much, um, and they're both kind of average at takeaway rate uh, on the cusp of things. But, yeah, it, this should be a, a tie it all the way. You know, my final decision will be see once I see the line in a little bit. So Now, here is a competitive game. I don't know how much we can talk about this one because, as you can tell, I'm kind of losing my voice. So we still have two games to get to. So when you talk for an hour and a half uninterrupted, you know, some things kind of falter. So Tennessee and Kentucky. So this is a game preseason. I wrote it. I mentioned it. I said it both privately and publicly that Tennessee should beat Kentucky. It's going to be a bad matchup for Kentucky. Um, Kentucky traditionally is not a team that tackles well in space. Ipso facto, that's exactly what happened last week. When you put someone like Hendon Hooker and Tion Evans into the equation, it really does up the ante. Um, Hendon Hooker um, is coming in with the third most broken tackles in the SEC. Um, He is one of the most explosive rushers, as is uh, Tion Evans. And both are some of the most uh, successful down to – oh, not successful, but just more – uh, electric rushers in the conference, just like I said, because they're good at getting stuff after contact, making plays in space, and um, making you use more than one person to bring them down. That's what it's all about, right? So um, Small himself has been okay. Uh, Javante Payton, he's been a very good player. And someone who's kind of come out under the radar is Cedric Tillman. Uh, I looked up and noticed he's been one of the more prolific pass catchers in SEC play thanks to his um, rece- receiving traits as of late. So Tennessee um, is a very um, up-and-down type of team, both <laughs> both schematically and statistically. So uh, schematically, of course, they like to do pace. They, they run 2.78 yards or 2.78 plays per minute. Um, that's a lot. That's allowed them to have the second most yards per game in SEC play at 478. But the, the high pace does wear out them as well as defenses. And while they do like to do vertical shots when the defense is gassed or, you know, just typical gap, 
schemes, end zone schemes, mixing in a lot of different varieties to you know, keep the defense on their heels in that regard. There is a decent amount of backyard ball, um, which I said Hooker certainly does excel at doing. But um, it does beget a decent amount of sacks, 10.1% sack rate, top four pressure rate. So when they do bust, they bust badly. So um, speaking of the goods, they're top three in explosive play rate, 16.2% of their plays. They're both they're second in both regards, um, and they have a 50% success rate running the ball like a, a decent amount of other teams you know that cannot be ignored uh when half of their runs work situationally it really does help that play action game and like i said when you're doing a lot of pace and when you're doing a lot of different backfield action and you can do some a fake insert or something and really collapse the safety and take advantage of a one-on-one guy outside the numbers well they're very very um good at doing that now that they're not wasting deep passes like they were with joe milton so um, that has helped them have the top three points per drive in the conference, the top uh, top three touchdown and scoring drive rates as well. But the thing is, with the up and down, it does have some negatives. With that sack rate, um, like I mentioned, a bottom two three and out rate. Only Vanderbilt has been more prone to three and outs in SEC play than the than the Volunteers. I mean, that can't be ignored. So, um, yes, they have. Excellent playmakers. I think they are going to match up very, very well with Kentucky. So speaking of Kentucky, of course, their numbers are kind of skewed a little bit because, of course, they just allowed like fucking 40 completions and like 35% of 35 of them were accurate little things. Uh, they are allowing the worst completion and accuracy percentage in SEC play, so that should be a good thing for Hooker, who is one of the most effective uh, quarterbacks in the conference in both aspects, running and throwing. He's uh, coming along. I think he has the third best accuracy percentage overall. Uh, like, yeah, I believe he does. I think he's right after Bo Nix. Um, thinking off the top of my head, I've, I, you know, I got a lot of stuff. To remember, guys, forgive me if I if I space on some things. So, um, Kentucky's defense overall, it's it's better scoring than it is like down to down or like you know, doing creative havoc or you know impactful plays. Even though they they have kind of done some more stunts this year, it's still overly passive. It's sitting back. So they're top five in touchdown rate. They're top four in scoring drive rate. Just over a third of their conference drives have allowed points. That's pretty good. Um, they're top five in preventing teams from getting uh, drives into the red zone. That's pretty good. Um, they're top four in yak average. You know, they're, they're preventing um, the splash stuff. They're making teams earn it. Like I said, you know, they're, they are wanting you to make the mistake as opposed to try and press you into a mistake. They're just trying to sit back and confuse you or get you to misread something. So they have the best big pass rate. They um, even Georgia has a, is more prone to allowing 35 plus yard passes more than the Wildcats. And they're still top four in big run rate. Overall, they have a top three explosive play rate allowed, but I, but strangely enough, they're bottom four in 15 plus play rate and uh, overall they're bottom five in success rate so um even though yeah they're you know they're bottom two in takeaway rate they stay on the field a whole lot they're uh better than most at preventing points so um tennessee like i just mentioned pretty good at getting points so that's certainly going to be put to the test i think kentucky's schedule has helped them pad the numbers there so i think tennessee's clicking of course they're going to be Coming off an off week, and um, it's going to be looking good for them. So, you know, uh, both defenses have similar three and out rates. They're actually bottom two. Um, and both have similar touchdown rates allowed, and both are top four in yak. Uh, 
Um, Kentucky's offense, it just has to find explosive plays. And, of course, the, like I, I always mention, the easiest way to do it is to be good at throwing deep. You know, it, it's a, it's a two-man operation at times. So, Levis, again, since week three, he's over 10 with two interceptions on deep passes. Um, his floor, his passing floor, when you, um, you know, just judge him from pocket throws, clean, drop back, non-play action throws, when, you know, he's not pressured, none of his peers have a worse first down touchdown rate. That's on him. He is not getting the necessary results. Of course, Chris Rodriguez has been hurt, and rumor has it, you know, the full week of practice, he's back to his old self. Well, you know, I'm not going to get back on my, you know, hype train for him until I see it. You know, I I proclaimed after seeing the game last week, he is no longer the SEC's running back one, and it's because he is not breaking tackles in the open field. So, Chris Rodriguez has about 40 or so broken tackles on the season. Half of them have occurred on his attempts where he's hit behind the line of scrimmage. On those 25 attempts, he has broke 20 tackles. That is a fantastic rate. And while it's, you know, a very, very nice trait to be able to negate uh, negative runs and tackle for a loss and, you know, try and keep your offense ahead of schedule to an extent, um, running back plays are a little bit more um, fruitful when you can make guys miss, you know, three, four, five yards downfield. So on all of his other remaining 100 plus or whatever carries, he has, you know, 20 uh, 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 broken tackles as well. And, you know, as we've seen, he's just been less effective in that aspect. So um, his stable metrics like broken tackles overall, broken tackle rate overall has dipped. Obviously, we knew he, he, he couldn't maintain, you know, a, a two-thirds success rate, rushing success rate, or a 42% first down touchdown rate. But, um, yeah, he's just not what he was last year because he's just been less of a zealous ball carrier and you know you can blame the deep passing games woes on missing Ali of course once he was out that it, it, it coincided with UK's you know um, I guess proclivity to do more horizontals passing stuff so empty spacing concepts sticks concepts stuff like that as opposed to the the, the vertical passing game that they have been deploying of course Ali and Robinson it's a lot easier to attack deep downfield uh, when you have two deep threats as opposed to just one because UK has a very bare receiving core in terms of playmakers outside of those two. So um, I was surprised to see um, Kentucky still has the best rushing success rate in the SEC coming into this week. Um, despite the last two weeks, you know, you wouldn't really think that they uh, that they were they would be in the spot, but a 53.2% rushing success rate leads all everyone else. So there you go. Uh, but, yeah, again, dead last in explosive pass rate. Um, they're still top four in explosive run rate, though, 18.6%, just almost about a sixth of their runs, over their sixth of their runs. They're top three in yak average. They don't move backwards too much. Like Again, props to um, Rodriguez. He does have that going for him. Uh, top four in negative uh, play rate overall. Um, but, yeah, bottom three yards per game. Only 333 yards in SEC play and a bottom five three and out rate. So this offense has absolutely sputtered. And Tennessee's defense overall, um, so they're pretty good at getting Havoc, guys. Uh, and as we saw last week, Havoc rude the good day against Kentucky. Um, Mississippi State's a defense that's predicated on getting that type of stuff. And Tennessee, 
they have the best havoc rate in SEC play so far. So one out of five plays on average generate a form of havoc. That has allowed their turnover-worthy play rate to be a um, you know a biscuit shy of five points, uh, a five point zero clip there. So that's the second best in SEC play. Very good. Um, top three tackle for a loss rate. Very good. Top four pressure rate. Top four 15 plus play rate. 15 yard or more play rate. So yeah, um, they're a very stout defense. So um, I think it's a really big advantage for Tennessee. So the cold could play to Kentucky's advantage. It's going to have to be a physical game, one in the trenches. Um, Tennessee has been kind of up and down in the trenches. You know, it's ebbed and flowed with who's in the backfield, but generally a very efficient run game overall. Like I said, 50%, even though that is behind Kentucky's, it's not too it's not too far behind where it's a complete disadvantage. And again, like I said, Hooker has been the more consistent, effective, and balance-oriented uh, quarterback to this point in the season. So, uh, before moving on to the next game, we'll just say that um, both offenses have similar pressure rates allowed. They're both top four in Havoc. They're both the top two in rush yards before contact. Again, this is going to be settled in the trenches. Which team is going to win that? Which one's going to make it tough on um, their opponent to run the ball? Um, they're both top five in broken play rates. You're not going to see a lot of missed opportunities here. Um, and they're both very run-oriented. They're both Bottom five in pass rate. So, again, going back to the rush yards before contact, before moving forward, just to cap it, these are the only two SEC offenses with a rush yards before contact of 2.8 or higher. How about that? And how about this? Let's close with Florida and South Carolina. So, this should be an easy game. Look, South Carolina, look, they're not special by any means. They're going to start their third-string quarterback. Jason Brown. So, Jason Brown, he might be a toolsy passer. Um, he looks like he has some pop with his arm. It's, it's really tough to sell, tell him, man. You know, he played like a handful of snaps, a dozen snaps in, in garbage time last week. A lot of them were curl-flat patterns, you know, basic stuff, even though that is a play this offense really does run a lot because they kind of have to. Um, not to brush it off, it's just saying like anybody can go out and throw the, you know, and um, execute that pattern. So he does look like he has some physical traits, but, you know, let's see if he can actually ex um, get some explosive gains here. So um, them in general, in terms of explosive gains, um, they have two players that are actually in the top six in explosive target rate in, in Bell and Josh Van, and that is a big surprise because Josh Van traditionally has been a very um, inefficient target because he has had to suffer through a high target and a high inaccurate um, pass rate. So, um, the, the, you know, despite the shortcomings of this offense, they can at least, you know, turn towards that and say, look, we have at least two um, worthwhile vertical threats or at least playmakers um, to target. So Jason Brown, like I said, he's going to be starting. So we'll see if they, he can maximize that aspect because I think they should utilize some more pass-first tactics because running the ball on, on early downs has just set themselves up for failure because they cannot block to save their lives. Bottom three rush, rush yards before contact. That's been consistent all freaking season, no matter what context you want to slice it up and look at. They are dead last in yak average because they're, they're just hit immediately. Um, basically, um, I think uh, a third or about a third of Kevin Harris's attempts have contact behind the line of scrimmage. That's just, you know, that's terrible. It's terrible. 
Um, so, of course, that it's no surprise that the rush yard before contact is dead last in the conference at 3.76, guys. Um, you know, <laughs> it's pretty obvious. And, you know, Florida has not necessarily been a great um, – Defense, it's been okay looking at the metrics relative to everyone else. And, and looking at tackles for a loss, they're actually um, not good at that whatsoever. Bottom two. So if South Carolina is hoping to you know get itself some cushion, this might just be the opponent to do so. Or this could be the opportunity the Gators need to improve that stat column. But back to Carolina's offense. So, um, yeah. Like you can imagine with a, an offense that just cannot run the ball but kind of wants to run the ball, their uh, bottom two in rushing success rate that has allowed their overall success rate to be the second worst at 35.4%. They had the second worst traffic rate allowed. They are, the, they are bottom four in explosive plays because they allow a decent amount of sacks and, and they move backwards a decent amount because of that havoc, like I mentioned. Bottom three sacks, bottom two negative play rate, bottom three, three and out. Bottom two, touchdown and scoring drive. They only score points on a fifth of their freaking drives. And you know what? The capper, they have the worst turnover rate in the SEC or an SEC play. That is just an absolute thing that you cannot have if you're trying to build some momentum for, you know, a floundering program. You know, as, you know, turnover prone as the Wildcats are in, in Kentucky, it says something that the Gamecocks have been even worse to date. Um, so that's, that should be at least something, uh, some form of solace for Florida because they themselves have the second worst turnover rate. Um, you know, Emory versus Richardson, you know, this is going to be the big debate. So Richardson has the traits, but his stats are lacking. Emory Jones, his stats are good, not great as well as his traits. So yeah, he's fine, but he just, you know. He doesn't seem like it's going to be the passer that's going to take Florida to the promised land. But, yeah, uh, playing Georgia is a really, really, really tough task to start. So, either way, on the season, I mean, I have the stat sheets up. Of course, you can check out all your favorite SEC players' advanced statistics at secstatcats.com. Of course, if you like passers or receivers or rushers, you can see advanced breakouts with specific charts on specific pages. But, you know, I'm looking at the stat tables now for Emory Jones and Anthony, Anthony Richardson. Emory Jones has a accuracy percentage that's nine percentage points better. His adjusted completion percentage is eight points better. Yes, okay. Um, his turnover-worthy play rate is still the big caveat. 9.91 uh, but the thing is, Anthony Richardson's, because of last week's, is now over 8%. That's well into the danger zone. Not what you like to see. Both have a comparable pressure rate to each other, but Jones has a success rate that's five points higher. Um, and, uh, you know, um, he has a depth-adjusted accuracy that's eight points higher. So um, the other thing that Richardson has going for me, of course, it's kind of padded because of his early season play, but he's more explosive quote-unquote and he's more prone to throwing touchdowns his t his touchdown rate and explosive pass rates are better his explosive pass rate damn well near doubles Jones's um again because he's a lot more vertical he's a stronger arm he's a little bit more you know he's a he, yeah you don't mind pressing downfield every once in a while well Emory Jones is a lot more of a mid-range king a nickel and dimer type of passer so 
uh, yeah, it, it, it's a tough thing. I gotta say, I gotta say. So I would still start Richardson. Look, he's gonna be the guy moving forward. Probably you need to see him long term, of course. Um, Georgia's a tough opponent, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. No one really looks particularly that um, that strong against them. So South Carolina themselves, they're not necessarily a pushover defense by any means. But um, if he can get some good uh, you know, throws under his belt, build some confidence, and actually know what he can potentially provide in the long term, I think that's going to be uh, much more fruitful for this Florida team at 4-4 four four at this point in time rather than trying to, you know, uh, squeeze what you can out of Emory Jones at this point in time. So down to down, they have an average success rate. Yeah, whatever. They are still top five in explosive play rates. Just, it, it, but like they, it just the numbers don't jump off the page. I'll be honest with you. Even though they do kind of place well, um, they just really just don't jump off the page. But one player that does jump off the page for Florida is um, Damian Pierce. Guys, I don't know um, why. Um, he's being limited to only about like seven touches a game. Um, but yeah, I, I, he is incredibly efficient and like, look, it, this wasn't like a shock. He was the, uh, Gators most efficient rusher last year as well. So, um, I mean, looking on zone runs, 23% of his runs gained 10 yards or more. Um, that's the fourth best in the conference looking at gap schemes. So these are like, you know, dives, counters, powers veers stuff like that um 35.7 percent explosive run rate that is the best in the conference he is a zoomer through and through and speaking of um you know gap schemes he has a 57 percent success rate on those designs um you know uh, you know and like you know i mentioned matt corral and bo nicks being very fruitful runners inside the red zone right you know they're First down touchdown rates are at 60%. Well, when you just look at running backs, Mr. Pierce has the best um, clip in that regard. So um, he's one of the best rushers at turning contact behind the line of scrimmage into a positive gain. 63.6% um, of those chances have been converted. That is just really, really impressive. That's um, top six in the conference. Um, overall explosive run rate in league play, he's fifth. I mean, look, he's just a big, big play guy, um, a big, big play guy. So, like, you know, outside of Dom Johnson, who has just been, you know, a, a very hidden gem, he basically leads everything in the SEC play. And I, I totally forgot to mention him, so I'm kind of retroactively doing it. So forgive me, Dom. Forgive me, Dom. But Dom leads, leads SEC, uh, uh, SEC rushers in success rate, explosive run rate, broken tackle rate, Yak average and first down touchdown rate. So um, he's being overlooked. Well, um, like him, so is Damian Pierce. Again, only seven touches a game, and yet you look at his statistics. Um, right now, only Dom Johnson has a preferable first down touchdown rate than his 41.8% clip. And that is damn well near um, a leader last in last year's rankings as well. So very, very good. And overall success rate, he's sixth. So he's just checking a lot of boxes. Only Devin Chain has more rush yards after contact uh, than his three-point eight clip. Um, I can't say enough about um, his effectiveness, his balance, his above-expectation play, and I, I just really wish he could get some more snaps. Now, um, it's not all bad with Malik Davis, but – it is, uh, you know, certainly lacking to his teammate. Um, but Malik Davis, looking at what I like to call as a kickstarter 
first quarter, first down carries. He's one of the best in the conference. You can't deny him that. So, like, yeah, he does like to start drives. You know, he's a decent outside zone threat, outside the bookends type of guy, get some speed going. So um, that is certainly something to consider. But, look, overall, Pierce is a guy that I want to get involved. Same with Jacob Copeland. You know, he is one of the SEC's most explosive pass catchers. Obviously, um, sometimes you just can't force feed him, and it seems like the matchup patterns that they really did lean on last year doesn't really fit the personnel this year so you know it's been harder to get him the ball but um when they are able to get him the ball he just rarely disappoints so i just really wish they could get some opportunities so again it's not like south carolina's defense is uh, overly a pushover but coming into this game it is a below average unit um down to down so um I guess, yeah, let's look at these lines. How about that? Let's make some picks finally, you know what I mean? Let's close this bad boy outright because game day is about to start. we got to get this thing going. Um, you know, I am recording this on Friday evening. Just, uh, you know, just to be honest with you all, guys. So, you know, whatever. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, we have a, a decent amount of nooners. So the first one that comes up on my page is Liberty and Mississippi State. The spread is now nine and a half. Under over is 67. I'm going to take Liberty and the over in that one. Liberty and the over. I just think a banged up Mississippi State team. Um, they are able to you know score points like they do, um, but I think Malik Davis makes enough plays to keep it you know interesting. Uh, you know if it was around eight, maybe I would go Ole Miss, but nine and a half just gives me a little bit for the Liberty Flames and Hugh Freeze to um, you know keep it close here. So. Um, again, under over 67, yeah, I, I just think, yeah, I think both offenses, you know, do a decent amount. So um, next one, the next nooner, Missouri, Georgia, 39 and a half. Gosh, yeah, that's not going to scare me off. I'm still going to take Georgia. Uh, give me Georgia minus 39 and a half, uh, under 59 and a half. Um, even though Georgia against their um, lesser opponents, they have blown the doors off of them. Um, backup quarterback for Missouri, 59. I just don't think they get there. Uh, I think under is going to be a safe play just because of how stingy the defense has been. And Missouri themselves hasn't been particularly wowing um, offensively. Now, they have been okay at getting points relative to everyone else. But in a vacuum, eh, give me that Georgia defense. So um, the game of the week. The big game, it is now Texas A&M crawling up to a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Gosh, I'm going to take Auburn, but I, don't, I do not feel good about it. I, I think A&M wins, but I think Auburn's going to cover maybe like a two-point loss, something like that. I think, I think we're going to get an odd score game here in this one. I'm going to take the over, though, over 49-and-a-half. So um, I think that Bigsby is – for whatever reason, he wasn't a funk. I think he is able to get some gains here, particularly explosive gains. Um, of course, last time Auburn was there, they won comfortably when Bo Nix was a freshman. So, um, obviously, the defense was a little bit more dominant then than it was now. I think just because Calzada, um, even though you know he has been playing okay as of late, um, he still does have, have a decent amount of risky throws, and I just think Auburn is able to is it going to be able to capitalize on one where they're you know able to keep it under this margin here? End of the day, though, like I said, I I do think A and M is able gonna is probably gonna win, but um, yeah, I don't know. Some I feel good about Auburn. I I feel good about Auburn. What can I say? What can I say? Um, and then we have three seven o'clockers. Three seven o'clockers. Oh my gosh! Ugh. 
29 and a half. Yeah, that's still not going to scare me off Alabama. Again, I'm looking at these for the first time, so forgive my reaction. These are my honest reactions when I first see the line. So, yeah, I am going to stick with Alabama minus 29. Um, I'm going to take the under 67, though, even though I think the Alabama Crimson Tide are probably going to be looking to embarrass LSU, and LSU is depleted. Um, I don't know. I just don't think they're going to want to, you know, completely put up too much points. So 67 is just just a little too rich for my blood. If it was like 64, I probably would have gone over. But 67, I think that's just a little too much. But, you know, I, I could be wrong, but I have been better at over-under so far on this year. I am going to take Tennessee. Um, it was originally minus four Tennessee. So now that it is minus one, I think that is going to be my lock of the week. I'm going to take Tennessee minus one as my lock. So, yeah, I just don't feel good about Kentucky. Until I see that they can really get the explosive gains back, until I know that they can finish drives consistently and, you know, uh, prevent their opponents from getting long, sustained drives, um, it's really tough to back them despite being a ranked team at home and playing in the cold. Um, 57 points. I'm going to take the under 57. Under 57. So Missouri or Tennessee and under um, – 57 minus one. So the other game, where is it? South Carolina and Florida, the final game. That's right. How do you like my singing voice? Uh, you can tell I took a choir in high school, right? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, uh, Florida's a 20 and a half point favorite. Okay, that's what I, about what I expected. Uh, mm. Give me South Carolina. I don't like it. I don't like it. No, I changed my mind. Florida, Florida, because I didn't like it. Because uh, again, right then, I just cannot buy the Beamer stuff with a third-string quarterback. As as rocky as Florida has been, I just, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Um, yeah, I'm gonna take Florida minus twenty and a half. I don't feel good about this either way. Uh, but I'm gonna take the uh, over fifty-two. Uh, I'm gonna take the over fifty-two. Even though, yeah, I, I feel stupid about that. As is, it's probably gonna be a, a rock fight, ugly type of game in South Carolina. Uh, I'm going to take the over there just because I feel um, – I don't know. Maybe Florida just likes to embarrass, and maybe they get they get hot in this game. But, yeah, I, I mean, that's a game where I just don't – that's a total coin flip. I, I forgive me. You know, the numbers can go one way or another, but just the fact because um, Richardson has been kind of rocky statistically. He has been, you know, potent, no doubt. He's been scoring. He gets the explosive gains. He just hasn't been consistent, and that's that kind of matters. So yeah, that's what has me kind of like through uh, you know up and down. So of course, I think we do these. I think we do see Emory Jones at some point in that one as well. So um, just to recap before our send off, yeah, we got us in here under two hours. So hopefully we can get this in for you all, so you can get all your picks in. So Liberty plus five and over sixty-seven. Georgia minus thirty-five and a half and uh, under fifty-nine. Of Auburn plus four and a half. Over 49.5, Alabama minus 29, under 67, Tennessee minus 1, under 57, that's my lock, and then Florida minus 20.5, and over 52. So again, um, be sure to follow um, the Twitter account for all of these awesome things. Of course, I like to live chart every game. I'm going to live chart one of those nooners. It's not going to be Ole Miss, though. It's not going to be Ole Miss because, again, if I want to try and finish it in time for the, to chart one of the games of the week or, or one of the teams that are playing in the game of the week, can't really be messing around with, you know, 90 or so snaps from Lane Kiffin and them boys. So, um, yeah, be sure to follow at SEC Stack at underscore or at SEC underscore Stack at on Twitter. 
I check the Facebook plays, but the the chase you can check the Facebook page, but it's not like I update it too much. But the the main driver is the site, right? Like I mentioned I, I, throughout the podcast a few times, you know, past charts, Russia charts, leaders. You can just see what concepts teams are running in situations with many many filters. You really get all this different types of context and deep dives. You can spend a whole lot of time. And of course, if you don't know what certain concepts are, don't worry. I have videos, one-on-one -on -one videos that can break them down really quick. They're really cheesy, but you know what? You'll at least know what certain concepts are 90 seconds or so later. Um, so, um, until next time, hopefully our bets kind of rebound after our rocky weeks. Uh, I am Clark Brooks. Have a good one.